everybody. You know, good to be here. Um, actually, you know, I was not even going to pursue this podcast today. I've, I've jacked up my C5 and 6 vertebrae, which happened um, back in the spring of 2018. I recovered from that, but it seems like it's flared back up again. So I've got this nagging thing always in the back of my my neck, and it's got reference pain to my arms and stuff. And then, you know, the idea of... You tell me that part. Huh? You didn't tell me that part. Yeah, it is what it is. Um, I, I've gotten through it. I, I spoke and I crushed it last weekend at a conference, you know, and I same exact thing. I, I was hurting, but I, it, it worked great. The adrenaline overpowers the, the pain. And maybe that's what we can talk about today. I sent you a post on Abraham Piper. He's an Instagram post. Yeah. And um, for those who don't know, Abraham Piper is the son of John Piper. And John was influential in your life. Yes. Uh, why don't you give like a one minute snippet of how he was? So our audience knows why was he influential in your life? So he was influential in my life because um, at the time, this is probably um, going back to 2001, 2002, as I became an evangelical and was really fired up for the Lord. Mm -hmm. um, I started looking and absorbing all kinds of stuff. And my mentor at the time, his name was Chris. He, he, he lived in a more reformed world, right? In a reformed world, right. just so everybody knows, as opposed to just pure evangelicalism is the idea that God is sovereign, that he actually is in control, right. um, that that um, there is an actual, uh, 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 something came out of the Reformation by a gentleman by the name of John Calvin. Mm -hmm. And what he believed in um, was something called TULIP. And it was called TULIP because there was an argument against somebody who was more of a free willer and um, these people who are more of election, which means that God actually chooses ahead of time who's going to be saved and who's not. They call it double um, predestination, right? And the idea of TULIP is that all of us are totally depraved, meaning that we're we're not like all listeners. What is TULIP? Give them the five. TULIP stands for total depravity, hmm? unconditional election, limited right. atonement, irresistible grace, and perseverance of the saints. And to flesh that out for everybody total depravity means that we're completely broken that we don't have actually any good in us at all that we need the holy spirit and god to help us get out of this state of total depravity but no, not meaning that we're all like pedophiles or we're all rapists but all, that 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 we're actually totally broken meaning that there's nothing really good. i don't know i don't know if it means anything, but that's a tangent um because we could easily go down that one but to bring it back i sent rich a post or an instagram reel by his son abraham piper and abraham is now gone the complete opposite direction as his dad okay he's very funny he talks mostly about language he's a wordsmith he loves yeah, language. Brilliant. he talks about poetry and the use of words and where they come from and the etymology he's got super long hair and today's post was about fundamentalism, how he was reflecting on his fundamentalism period when he was in college. And if you know his dad, his dad is a pretty hardcore fundamentalist. Like there's a very, and the point wasn't just that he was fundamentalist. He made the point around rigidity that fundamentalists don't have, everything is certain. And I thought that was really interesting because that was the world that I grew up in too. That's why I so you and I are both attracted to Abraham because we both have history with him. But today's post that he made was around this idea that there is a very fixed way of operating and you just have to do that. And 
Abraham has now gone the opposite direction, which is a very powerful move because his dad would then say he's going to hell. I know his dad would. That's his theology. That's how his theology works. Fair enough. Yeah. And um, so it's interesting. You asked me, uh, I want to learn and figure out how to have the energy that I do because I churn this stuff a lot. My job allows it. Um, I listen to Instagram. I like listening to people's perspectives on Instagram, um, mostly reels because you get the full picture. And I loved his breakdown of fundamentalism because I think at a certain time in my life, I actually was very fundamentalist. That's the value and value of it is that it gives you this sense of concreteness that is very, very powerful when you believe in it. But when you step away from it, like Abraham has done, you move with much more fluidity in uncertainty. And I'm very comfortable moving in uncertainty now. I wasn't back then. I was trying to figure it out. Um, but you asked me, do you think John is saddened by his son and where he's at? And I think the answer is yes, I do. I think because from a fundamentalist frame, which is you and I both have periods of our life where we were sort of in that vein, um, He's looking at his son going, my son is now out of the kingdom. And Abraham's point is, no, I've transcended your version. Mm -hmm. And I think that's, uh, it's very interesting because John is this, I, I John is a very, um, I think if I could sit down over coffee with John, I would believe that he believes what he's sincere with sincerity. I think Absolutely. That I still like John. He, I cannot stand his certainty because, and it's, it's ride or die, but I think I would like John. Well, and, and that's why we like John more. I saw John Piper on stage with Mark Driscoll and the topic at desiring God's conference was, the supremacy of Christ in a postmodern world. And Driscoll at one point in time was a potty mouth kind of pastor, but you know, he he was the new grunge version of it, still reformed, restless and reformed, if you would, but more of like a loud music in your face guy. Right. And he wasn't afraid to go to bars and even I don't know if he went to strip clubs. I think probably he would avoid that, but he was he was exposing himself to things in the vein of, of, of sharing the gospel where John Piper says, I'm, I couldn't do that. I'm, I'm too, I'd be too tempted. So right. sense of humility came through there a year or two later, John MacArthur's up on stage and it was called the perseverance of Christ. Meaning like MacArthur had been preaching for 40 years and the guy almost got kicked out of his own church, but he was never, you know, um, he, he never went through these human things of John described sitting on a porch, crying and weeping and having almost like a midlife crisis. And MacArthur is just looking at him and shaking his head with disgust. So the difference between Piper and MacArthur is Piper has a humility about his certainty and a sincerity, whereas MacArthur just had a pure all-American ego arrogance, right? And that just doesn't comport with the Jesus that I think we all know. So at least at that stage, I hey, felt like Piper was more living in Christ's presence. Let me do this. I want to bring, because Piper has come up in probably five or six of our conversations in this podcast. And I want to suggest something yeah. that Piper is Agent Smith. What do you think about that idea? Um, 
Mm. Or not? Okay. Good question. I mean, it's worth pushback. Because I think Agent Smith is a fundamentalist, but he's also, although he adapted, Agent Smith changed. Agent Smith, but he was the exception. Plugged. I think he starts as a fundamentalist. That's why I think he, uh, Abraham hasn't made the jump that Agent Smith did, but I think Agent Smith is a fundamentalist. Well, in, to the extent that Agent Smith was the actual thing that was going to cause all of humanity and, and the world to come crashing, where actually the machine mm-hmm. actually worked with Neo to defeat Agent Smith, right? That was the whole twist at the end of Revolutions. And right. maybe we need to watch Revolutions again. I, I will say, um, which is what really makes me sad, is I love The Matrix. I love Reloaded. Most people didn't love the second one. I thought it was amazing with the I thought it was great. I thought it so too. The third one, to me, when you're watching 20 minutes of a guy shooting sentinels in the same frames again and again and again, and it got a lot more um, metaphysical and that's great. But at the end, as we know, what ends up happening is Neo has a deal with the machine to actually fix everything and get rid of Agent Smith, who becomes this rogue agent that's going to almost be chaos. If you, if, if to be totally fair, talk about chaos theory. I mean, Agent Smith ended up becoming the massive agent of chaos which was going to destroy everybody and Neo and the, the actual AI that created the construct, you know, all had to work together to destroy him. Right. That's mm-hmm. my understanding. So is that yeah. fair? I don't know. It's a, it's a good counterbalance that um, agent Smith. Is, so go back to John in terms of just this idea, because the idea that started this was the idea of fundamentalism and not, yes. he didn't have to be agent Smith, but I think there's this idea as a human being we can come to a place where we can live and feed off of certainty. Yes. And did you find that a valuable way to live? When you're young, you have to. So let's talk about this, yeah. what Jesus did, what Jesus did and, and how the unfolding of, 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 of the story of the Jewish and Hebrew people into Christianity. What's what I love about that story is everything back then was don't do this. There was a couple of do's, obey the Lord, don't do this, don't do that, don't do this. It was a very rigid way. And I think God chose a very narrow, rigid way of absolute certainty to guide them as a child, if you would. He watched their rebelliousness. When Jesus came on the scene, he changed everything. He says, love the Lord your God and love your neighbor like yourself. He made that even more narrow, but it also became a lot more open. Like, what does that mean? Right. Whereas God says, here's my 10 commandments. Jesus just says, love the Lord and love your, you know, love your neighbor. And it it seems very simple, but it's a lot more complex. Right. So in many ways, all of those laws that were broken down were summed up in more of a free will kind of thing, you know? And I think that um, what's important to realize is as, as children, you don't, as a child, you, you tell a child, don't put your hand on that hot stove. The question, the, the, the time for questions and, and, and abstractions is not at that time. You don't want them to actually burn themselves. And so what you're hoping for is relying on the authority of your statement. And, and what, what you're doing is you're looking out for their long-term benefit, right? And as they get older, you have to realize, like Jean Piaget and, and how people learn that they need to start asking questions because that's how they form ideas and, and understand the, the real world. And that's where you let things out and you allow choice more into the equation, right? Like, well, what would you like to do? And then later on, 
the choice is fully theirs. It's like technology. It can be useful or harmful. Totally. Choice can be, and I think that's what someone like Piper offers is this certainty of a way of thinking. So I don't have to think. Yes, that's but fair. It, but it, here's the thing that I don't agree with Piper is it's not about the specific way of doing life. It's the fundamental way of doing life. Like it's not about the Piper spends a lot of time thinking about how much you can contribute to God. Like everything is God focused yet. Jesus actually came to focus on us. And I think that's the primary thing that really rubs me the wrong way is fundamentalism stops being about human restoration. It starts being more about human obedience. That's why I never resonated with it long-term. Like Abraham or John Piper really, he's, he's simply, and I'm not against John. I want to make that very clear to anyone who's listening. I'm not against John. John, I think is actually a great human being, like I've said a little bit earlier, but I want to clarify. I think John is a symbol of an idea of certainty, not, I don't want to continue pointing to John. It's this idea of certainty that fundamentalism gives that can be incredibly liberating because it's like someone think for me, but at the same time, debilitating because there's, it's completely frigid. Yeah. And yeah. that's the problem with it is it has no grace. There's two things I'd like to mention about that. Right. One deals with how he- You know better than I do because you really participated in that world. So speak up. Yeah. I want to think about two things. Number one is um, in terms of how he interacted with other um, evangelicals and other leaders at the time. So I don't know if you heard of R.C. Sproul. Do you know that name? Yes. Very famous guy. Also had he also had a um, famous radio show, and he came from more of a reformed um, background. So when Piper was actually a Baptist, but a lot of Baptists believe in election, right? So Baptists, uh, as you consider a, a Baptist kind of theology, like Southern Baptist Convention, it, it's fire and brimstone. It's Jonathan Edwards. It is you're going to hell if you don't repent. But also, it does have what we call an election background, meaning that people. Um, you know, who come to the saving arms of the Lord will never actually lose that salvation. And people that are toast have always been toast from the beginning of time. G John Piper said, Jesus did not die for the sinner in hell. Jesus did not die for the sinner in hell because they were already relegated to hell. That's kind of crazy, right? But what I'm getting at is that rigidity caused um, a fellowshipping to break apart. In R.C. Sproul's theology, you can baptize infants, right? So in Catholicism, Anglicanism and then um, Presbyterianism and what we call high Presbyterianism, which is a lot more rigid. There's two kinds of Presbyterians. There's PCUSA and there's PCA. PCA tends to be a lot more fundamentalist. PCUSA is like more lovey-dovey. Right. And what Sproul would do is they'd baptize the infant, not as uh, for remission of sins like Catholics would, but as a new covenant seal. So in the Old Testament, what was the seal uh, that you were part of the community, Jonathan, for the male? Uh, I'm not sure your question. Circumcision. So the the sub, the, the yes. covenant that says that you're part that you're in that you're in in crowd is that the, mm -hmm. the Hebrews or the Jews were were circumcised, right? Right. That's the Old Testament way. And Abraham get, had to get circumcised, right? He made that deal with God. God, you know, severed the animals in half. Said, "I'm going to make you a blessed people." Mm -hmm. In the New Testament, um, they they didn't, um, especially with the Gentiles. 
Um, as you know, uh, Paul didn't make Timothy get circumcised because that was not necessarily required of them. They had to just believe in the Lord. But what I'm getting at is, R.C. Sproul believed in infant baptism. That prevented him from actually taking communion at Bethlehem Baptist in Minnesota. Can you imagine this guy everybody knows and loves, everybody regards him going to heaven, but he is not allowed at the Lord's table at, at Bethlehem Baptist. So people talk about that and shake their heads. Now, going back to the Old Testament, God also told the Israelites not to screw all the Canaanites, right? Hey, I came in here, we're cleaning out, and they're pagans. They do all these kind of bad things. And what happens? They intersperse, they fall in love with the local pagans, and then all hell breaks loose and a lot of pain and suffering happens. Now, you can look at that from two different lenses. In the lens of the Bible, it was bad news mm -hmm. because what ended up happening is like the likes of Delilah caused somebody like Samson to fall, right? So you've got people introducing foreign stuff. In, you know, in, in evangelical terms, you're calling, you're calling that unequally yoked, right? So I, I would say that there are certain things that we need to look at in terms of, I think structure is good in certain cases. Mm -hmm. And it's not as good in other cases. And I think Jesus did lead with love, but I think in the back of it all, he still adhered pretty cleanly, mostly to the Jewish laws at the time, right? He observed the Sabbath, right? He did these things. Now, when the apostles were hungry, he allowed them to eat, feed on the Sabbath, just like David he did. broke the Sabbath. Yes. You're right. But in general terms, he... Um, observe Passover, right? And all the other things. And he, he, he didn't sin, right? So Jesus didn't sin. We, we, know, we know this from the book of Hebrews, right? He didn't sin. Jesus didn't sin. Do you not believe that? You're smiling. Not anymore. Interesting. Not anymore. Yeah. Well, I, I, wrote, I, that, I wrote that in my book. I believe that Jesus took on sin on the cross. The moment he says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? That is the moment he allowed separation between he and the father. And it's immediately rectified, but he takes it on because he's taking on the sin of the world. So well, I think it's a difference to become sin ontologically so that he could be killed. I think that's the only thing sin is. That's why I now say that is yeah. sin is not a moral system. And here's why, because we are under total grace. And this is what I don't believe John Piper believes but it's foundational is I believe in the kingdom of God. The operating structure is love. Love is always overcoming, which means there's always grace. So you don't need the, like the 10 commandments as example, were a direct reflection of what was already happening in the culture at that time and only came when Hammurabi's code came out. So Hammurabi's code, for those of you who don't know in the Jewish culture was what was happening as how do farmers learn how to deal with, oh, you killed my cow. That's how it started. You don't kill my cow and I won't kill your cow. Right. If you kill my cow, you will give me one of your cow. That's what Hammurabi's code was. It was a way of dealing with the growing problem of people killing each other or property. Yep. And so when the Ten Commandments comes out, the Ten Commandments are a direct reflection of Hammurabi's code. It's a way of codifying human interaction. But you have 2,500 years before the Ten Commandments was given. Right. Except that Hammurabi's code didn't talk specifically about 
observing one monotheistic deity. <laughs> no, no, it was, but it, that's it, it, it was a it was it was a civil law. It was a set of um, um, edicts, precepts, if you right. would, that was that made a lot of sense and a lot more, a lot like Confucius, right? With, with the in the Golden Rule, right? A lot of a lot of similarities there. Yeah, but what it did is it by and and this is what the law. This is what fundamentalism, I think, does. And what the law did, because that's why fundamentalists are very strict. Like they're very certain. Yes. Okay. And it's this idea that there is a very real specific way. And I agree with fundamentalism if fundamentalism is love. Love is the only fundamentalism I think there is. Okay. Because I think going back to the Garden of Eden, the only question there really is, is am I good or evil? Yeah. Okay. So fundamentally, if you declare yourself as good, you never have a problem. Once you play with even deciding whether or not I'm good, you go into what's a state of unknowing. And that's what I'm discovering is there's a space where Adam and Eve weren't and Adam and Eve were. Okay. And yes. then there's a state of where they believed they were in harmony with God and then they weren't. Yes. That's human propelled. Okay. And in that state, they do one thing. They judge themselves as separate from God. Okay. And that's because the only question that can do that in our biology is, am I good or am I evil? That's what the tree of knowledge was doing. And the goal out of fundamentalism is to create a very, I get the value of fundamentalism. It's to create a way of operating that gets you back to God. That's what I think John Piper is really, that's his intention. But I think his form is wrong. Mm -hmm. I think his attention, what he's saying is the fundamentals is wrong. I don't believe in tulip. I don't think you can ever be separated from God. I think right. you can mentally separate yourself from God. And that's what we do in the tree of knowledge. And that's where I diverge with John Piper. That's where I diverge with fundamentalists because love overcomes everything. Love is the only fundamentalism there is. And when you do that, it always requires grace. So mm -hmm. the operating system of the world is grace that's god's starting point there was no law in the garden the the prohibition against eating of the tree is not a law god let them do it and their consequences were their own they would die wait a minute he said but do not you may eat of anything in the garden but do not eat not a law no but it's a command sure but what is a command a command is something that's an agreement oh man oh okay so you're right it wasn't a law it, 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 it was a law that's the distinction right. it's not the 10 laws it's the 10 commandments like gravity yeah okay and that's what we miss is there was no law and the only prohibition god creates host that event is don't kill each other for 2500 years okay now here's the problem with the law is the law is a fundamental rule that you cannot deviate from, okay? But what does the law typically focus on? The negative, don't do this, right? Okay, 
What we're discovering now is when you focus on the negative, by focusing on it, focusing your energies on it, you're actually going to create that. That's how life works now. That's what we know. Your energies in your intentions, what you focus on is what your life will then create. That's why the law couldn't save anyone. Okay, tell me about this. Go ahead. Touch the hot stove. Don't run on the slippery surface by the pool. Those are all negatives. Right. What do you teach a baby? And this is the power of love is the command to love yourself is the only directive that is positive. Okay. And it's encompassing of everything in the universe of God. That's why Jesus said, all you need to worry about is loving God, your neighbor, and yourself. Right. Okay. Everything else was encompassed. All the law was encompassed. Correct. Correct. And what does that do? It allows every individual to operate from grace to say, I don't have to do it your way. I can do it my way. How do I love myself? That creates a lot of tension because everybody is a free-for-all. But it also operates from a positive construct as opposed to a negative, like you were saying. Absolutely. Yeah. That's the trick. That's why what Jesus did is, and here's the beauty of it is in trans, and that's why I don't follow fundamentalism and why I follow love is because fundamentalism said I had to fix it John Piper's way. Mm-hmm. Love says I get to fix it my way. That's specific to me. And really what it comes down to is once you start loving yourself, you start feeling love and that love connects your head and your heart and you realize, oh, I am loved. And I didn't know if we were going to go down this road, but I'm just going to say it because I feel like part of this podcast is me to speak my own thoughts. Um, What I'm realizing now is um, this bridge, you and I talked about it on the first episode. Where does the separation of God end? with humanity. There is a, there's a distance between the entity that is God and the entity that is a human being. We talked about that in the first episode. I believe there is no No separation. separation. Correct. And because when God, and we talked about this a little bit earlier, but I'm going to say it now on the podcast, because I don't think I've ever said this publicly. When you, when Jesus calls us to love He's calling us to be love. Okay. So we have to first, and if we love, the only person who can love is God. So God is calling us to be like God. Jesus says, I am. Okay. And I now believe Jesus is calling us to be love because when we practice love we realize there is no separation between god and us and we are all one now at a subatomic level quantum physics has already proven that there is no separation that's why i don't have any problem anymore saying that i am god yeah i think that i'm still it's trying to make that ontological leap no no that's fine why why where you have a lot of strength in your argument is that if if 
don't forget what Jesus said. I'm bringing you a, 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 an advocate, a paraclete, right? Which is, right. of course, the Holy Spirit. And he said, greater things will you do than I will do. He right. says that. I and mean, is he lying? No. Now, we oh, didn't see the apostles do greater things. We saw them do the same things, right? We saw Paul and um, Peter both raise somebody from the dead, right? Mm-hmm. Paul rose. Paul's speech was so uh, enthralling that the poor kid in the windowsill falls, drops dead as he hits the pavement. Right. Paul uh, resurrects him, and then Peter re- resurrects Dorcas in Acts chapter 9. What I'm getting right. at is, from a subatomic level, the energy that they're using with love and with faith in, in what Jesus taught them right. is the same thing. It is They are Jesus in that moment. So, yes, meaning that they, I mean, again, we talked about this earlier. I talked about it with a friend. Like, I think Luther talked about us being little Christs. Mm-hmm. And, and I think that what, what, what we're talking about here is it shouldn't be a big stretch to say that we are Christ, right? Okay. If we are yes. wedded to the church, it shouldn't be that big of a stretch because what you're saying is for all intents and purposes, it's the same thing. Christ would want us to not only emulate him, but to be him. Now, the problem I think that happens is so many of us, because we still have hesitancies and we haven't reached the that higher level, the you know the highest levels that Dawkins would talk about. Richard Hawkins, Hawkins would talk about. David Hawkins, yeah, R- David, yeah, D- David. I I think what we what we do is we fall, we falter, and we still have the darkness kind of come in. You know, this is kind of like this is a crazy. I don't know why I just thought of this, but you know, just like Satan fell. He was supposed to be this perfect being in, in, in the Cimmerion where Tolkien is talking about where um, Mordeth came from. I think his name is Mordeth. So the Einar were these kind of angelic beings. And I think basically who Sauron becomes is like that too. He wanted to sing his own song. Mm-hmm. And I don't think that Iluvatar is the name for God in that. Didn't like that. It was off. There was something off about it. Right. Same thing with 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 Satan. Supposedly, he want. I, I guess the story is that he wanted the worshipness of the Creator from of creation to him. What I'm what I'm what I'm concerned with is uh, unless we reach a, a higher level of consciousness and know that we c- see the difference between us and God yes. is that God never screws up. We God, screw up. Why do you say that? God doesn't screw up. He, why do you say that? It's because he 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 can't screw Why? up. Who told you that? God. Where? Come on, ontologically speaking. He, he, one, he's not he. Where did God I, tell you God never screwed up? I mean, well, it doesn't exist, bro. He, is he not omniscient, omnipotent? You, you were told that because that's what fundamentalism learns is that God is separate from us and is perfect. Yeah. John Piper is a an example. He's a symbol. Jesus is the human example. Okay? What did Jesus do? Jesus took on the idea that he was God. That's a singular action right from the very beginning. Um like I was looking at the parable of the when he makes wine because we were talking about wine and someone talked about it. He says, it's not my time. Like he knew what he was participating in. And I think that what it did is 
when we create this idea that we actually are connected to God, there's no separation between us. We open up ourselves to a possibility that when we look at a subatomic level and see it's all energy, that's the spirit, that is energy, energy is the paraclete, we now can remove the barrier between us and God and be in perfect harmony. So help me understand this. If we are already God, if David was God, if uh, Enoch was God, yes. why does Jesus need to talk about the paraclete coming at Pentecost to help everybody out? Why do we need that if we're already there? Because nobody... Well, I don't know if nobody, I think the, because there, this is going back to, um, there is the personal experience and then there's the collective experience. Personally, I think lots of people in the Bible actually experienced connection with God, not an awareness. Nobody in history, uh, you could probably say Lao Tzu. I think Lao Tzu came, what, 2,000 years before Jesus? I don't remember when. Uh, maybe 1,000 or 1,500. 1,000, sometime before. So I think Lao Tzu understood it. Hmm. Um, if you read the Tao Te Ching, it's, it's like a whole nother level of thought process. Okay. So I want to say there are probably like, uh, what, what was uh, Enoch? Enoch's a good, Enoch went to be with God. He did. Okay. So in other words, he removed the separation. What does that mean? I don't know, but he didn't die. And neither did Elijah. Neither did Elijah. Okay. So there are moments in history where there are individuals who connect beyond the realm in a way that is, thing. but I think what Jesus did is, and why he's such a symbolic, he's the most important human being in history, I think. Yes. And, and, and to validate that, I'll use one simple number. He has the most historical followers. That's, that's probably the number one reason to give him credence. You don't have to agree with it, but it's important to recognize his impact on history. Okay. Because I think what he did was he connected to this idea that I am God. Okay, that is clear. Jesus said, I am. He didn't say, I am God. He said, I am. And I think that's a more powerful statement. We do not want to be who we think God is. Because that's always going to be the ego's version of it. We want to be who Jesus is as the I am. Because that is a version we don't even know exists. And that is the version that is pure love. But pure by saying I am that I am who am, he was referring, that's in, that's in John 8, 58. Yep. He's referring to God talking to Moses back in, um, I don't know if it was Exodus or Gen I think it's Genesis. Right. It was, it was Exodus. But yes. what I'm getting at is, they, but but you have to realize that they picked up stones to to to, to kill him because that was blasphemous at the time. Right. And that's the point of fundamentalism. Fundamentalism is this idea that we are not God. Okay, what is the origin of that? The origin of that is the Genesis story. Who cares if they're real people or not? I think they are, but it doesn't matter. That is the moment where there is separation in the God image between God and creation. There's an actual physical separation there. There's an exile. Exactly. And I believe the way that happens is, is you 
uh, it's embodied in the tree of knowledge, which is the single judgment. If I take on the idea of judging myself, I become the frame of God. And how do I judge outside of God? I can't. And I will always get it wrong because I don't have the awareness of love outside of God when I separate myself. So that was- You could have started even with Cain because Cain- Cain's sacrifice wasn't acceptable. Uh, it wasn't acceptable to Cain. That was the trait. God, if you if you read that specific text, I dug into that one hardcore. I bet. What God is doing is reading Cain's face. He's saying, why are you so sad? So it's God is responding to how they're experiencing God, not how God is experiencing them. That's what the verses are calling out. And Cain is jealous of his brother because he realizes Cain is connected to God. Abel. I mean, Abel, yes. Yeah. Cain is not, Abel is. And those are the comparative versions of good and evil. So it's just the tree of knowledge playing out. And what I'm now realizing is that when we take on that desire to judge, to play God, we are under what's called what I call a cloud of an unknowing. Yeah. We recognize we aren't God because we do stupid shit. That's and it. If I could do stupid shit. How could I be God? That of is logic. And that's when we move our frequency from 500, which is love down to below 200. And anything in the negative space below courage of 200 is negative energy and can only produce negative consequences. So if I judge myself incorrectly, I'm moving myself towards death, which is zero. If you eat of the tree, you will certainly die. It's a frequency question. And when I take on that negative judgment, I now store that in my energy field in my body. And that creates noise in the signal that keeps me from seeing I am God. Jesus just transcended that. Yes. Okay. And here's how he did it. He listened to the energy. Because that's what the spirit is. The spirit is. He didn't the have to listen to the energy. He was the energy, Jonathan. He allowed it. That's yeah. exactly what I'm saying. He allowed yeah. the energy. He believed. Yeah, he was God. He was manifest. He 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 was the energy manifest. Exactly, and that's that's my argument. That's where I'm sitting right now. Is um, and so that's why it's not really important that he was perfect. The perfect had nothing to because the well, because we structure. Well, yeah. Well, the operating structure of the kingdom of God is grace. That's what Jesus established. He didn't establish something that became true at that moment. It's what the kingdom of God is all the time, because there is no time in the kingdom of God. So all Jesus was doing is reiterating that grace is the operating structure. If you take that as true and you go backwards, you realize it doesn't matter if you claim you're God. Yes. It doesn't. There's no law against it. And then you can practice what Jesus was doing, which was taking on I'm good. 
that's a new way of operating as a human being. And nobody in history, maybe exception of Elijah and Enoch, had ever experienced that before. So the personal, yes, nobody had practically experienced it. But the collective, nobody believed it. Actually, Pelagius did. I believe that. I do. I believe that. When Pelagius, Pelagius um, you know, was condemned as a heretic from Augustine because he believed we were basically good. Like he basically said, yeah. how how could God ask us to follow his laws if we're fully freaking broken? Right. right. Augustine was the original sin guy that said, right. even in even in conception, we were conceived in sin. Right. Right. And I think but I think that's what Jesus did is Jesus just accepted that he was God. Why can't we do the same thing? Yeah. That's why I don't think there's any prohibition in claiming you're God. I don't care if Pelagius, like, I get why we are at a precipice of 2,000 years of history. And really, you can go back and say six, 10, a million years, however long your history is, we're at a point where we now have enough data to make better decisions. And the reality is, is that what Jesus did is he claimed he was God. Yes. That's why I don't think there's a prohibition at as a Christian. But we now have enough history to see the Christian church, uh, how bad it got, how good it got. It's never in the church. It's in the human connection of a human being through the spirit to God. And the ultimate reality is there is no separation. And that's what the entire story of Israel is about, especially with the temple there is no separation from God. But when you get in there, you better fucking respect it. Do you know it's interesting how you mentioned that? Because one of the things that you cannot deny is the history of us getting it wrong again and again and again and again. And if you remember right. Stephen, right? Stephen was the first martyr. Yep. And what he does in Acts chapter seven is he recounts the history of. Hey, he let you out of Egypt. You complained. You did this. Then you set up the judges. That was a shit show, right? Every time a judge would come in, clean house, you'd go back into your old ways. Now the judge would come along again and again and again. Okay, that wasn't working. God says, don't get a king. You're not going to want a king. Okay, here's a king. How'd mm -hmm. that work out for you? There's like three good kings, right? There's David, Josiah, and Hezekiah. How'd that work out? And then he brings them all the way through to where they are today. And they go, you stubborn you guys don't get it. And what ended up happening was he almost like was, he saw it. He knew, he knew he, he was tapped in right, right to the source. And I guess his face was looked like an angel, but then he's calling out. I, I see the Lord sitting on, on high. So in that moment, they were gnashing their teeth. And of course, that's why they ended up having to kill him. But mm -hmm. I think what we see in that regard is you go through the cycle again and again and again, and Stephen tapped into it. He knew what it was all about and for that they killed him so here's where i think we're at as a time frame i think as a human being time frame we are reaching a point where life is kind of saying do you believe in love christianity is basically a shell of its former self you know, you and I have followed the whole dialogue around that. Um, I think 
pick up the newspaper, whether it's the SBC, where the credibility is falling, and whether right. it's the uh, Catholic Church and the scandal there, right. et cetera. Yeah. So it's what happens when you take that veil that says you're not God's? Because Christianity, and for those who understand, I believe I'm a human being who follows in the way of Jesus, but I'm not an evangelical Christian. I'm not that specific brand. So if you believe that, that's where I came from. I no longer believe that. That's okay if you're there, but I'm not. And I say that because that is a way of thinking that's pretty closely aligned to John Piper, which is this stricture that says, you. John's whole thing is, you are not God. God is. And you can never make that connection. So you can never be fully energized like Jesus was because you cannot realize your own identity. And that it does create a separation. Crazy story of John Piper. And I, I, at the time, I just had to laugh. Um, he got a lot of flack for this, but here's exactly what happened. Um, I don't know when this was, early 2000s. Um, John 2009, Piper, if I remember. Okay. Cl clearly, John Piper, not a fan of um, the LGBT community in terms of that lifestyle, right? And not coming to the Lord. So th they had a big gathering at a church in Minneapolis and one crazy, I don't know if it was a morning or afternoon, but out of nowhere, a tornado came out of nowhere and it literally made a beeline straight for the church and it took out the steeple on top of that church. And of course, John's like, he writes up a little article on it talking about the judgment of God and you can't make it because then, because then the tornado disappeared. It didn't cause any other damage. It was... Right. It was so crazy and coincidental. You almost have to say, well, what the hell was that? So anyway, what I'm getting at it was at the time I kind of laughed at it because it was kind of ironic because it was it was kind of kind of uncanny. Anyway, he got a lot of flack for calling out the judgment of God on it. But uh, regardless, you know, we do need to work on, on, on bringing people together. And that certainly was a divider. But because here's the thing. Yeah. It's easier to sit in the space of fundamentalism because it's certain I don't really have to think. I just have to think like someone else is defined. That's right. Love, which is the opposite way, is so uncertain because it means I have to trust you not to kill me while I practice living. And that's uncertain because there's and a lot of bad players in the world. Vulnerability with love yes. too, right? Yes. Love is very vulnerable. Um, but when everybody practices it, in theory, you get utopia. That's true. That's the kingdom of God is. And I think uh, Abraham Hicks, do you know who Abraham Hicks is? No. So Abra you, you need to start listening to Abraham Hicks. Uh, she is a, she's one of the early pioneers of manifesting and kind of understanding frequency and how your body, they, most of the people like Abraham were part of that early secret phase where they were teaching people and um, the secret. how to manifest. Yeah. yeah. And, um, but she, she is, she's brilliant because she got that you already are energy. That's why I, what I'm doing now is I am asking what happens if I believe that I am not separated from God and I just love myself. And guess what? I mean, I've documented this on Instagram for the last eight months. You've seen my posts. It's fundamentally changed my life. Yeah. And you asked me, I'm going to read your words. 
how do you generate that's what you said to me how do you generate oh it's on instagram um so much energy and the answer is because i believed i was god i no, know what, what, what I, i'm sorry the question i was asking you do a lot more reading than i do when you've oh. read you've read um hawkins stuff mm-hmm. you've read you absorb podcasts i i don't know how you when i, when I said by energy I, I do believe you also have external energy that you share with people and that people but i know it's in like where do you get the energy to like wake up and just go all day long and absorb great content yes. and then digest it and keep it and then just kind of repurpose. Because I learned to turn off my certainty filter. That's really, honestly, that's- no, I mean, physical more, energy, physiological energy. Yes, I believe, that's, that's the thing is, um, here, let me give you a little bit of a breakdown of what I'm thinking of how it works. Now, this is not- law or anything i haven't published or anything it's just this is my thought process is as human beings we create ideas about how the world works and we store them in our autonomic nervous system that's our automatic that's our subconscious level when those energies are correct meaning hey we're all good everybody has value your body can operate consistently with that and you have no stricture there's no thing keeping you from being love because you're in agreement with love got it okay when you have a second category that there are those who are not good your body has to begin preparing for how to deal with that group so it begins storing procedures and conventions of how life works to protect you That's what we talk about. The default mode network's job is first to protect you. Like if a piano is falling on you, you want it to tell you. So its function is good. But when you think that there are bad people, you now have to point that protection at people. Which takes energy. A barrier, meaning yes. there's a, those who are God and there are those who are not, because those bad players can't be from God. Okay. And so everybody walks around with this in group and out group. And most strangers are in the out group because we don't trust them. We teach our body how to operate in the world through those judgment processes. Are you in? Are you good? Or are you not? And what our default mode network, our ego, our ego is essentially our protection system that's been thoroughly distorted by there are some in and some out. In the kingdom of God, there's nobody in it out. Not nobody. nobody. Right. That's why I love the end of the movie of Les Mis is everybody's inside the gates. There are no more enemies. It's, my, it's the most beautiful scene of the kingdom of God that exists in art. I love it. Nice. And when everybody's in agreement, there's no conflict. But when there is disagreement about who's in, we now have to create protective barriers. And those protective barriers, anytime we are protecting ourselves against someone else, is automatically operating counter to love. Because love says you are good. Love your neighbor as yourself. If I'm good, I'm supposed to love them the same way. If I do that, 
I am living in the kingdom of God. Mm -hmm. Here's what I think happens. When you store those negative energies, your most destructive ones are those that you make about yourself. Like, I suck. I did that and I fucking suck. <laughs> that Listen to the energy of that. I say that intentionally because when you store that in your body, you suffer. But what yeah. happens is the older you get, the more those energies become calcified and become impossible to change so much so that your body can no longer produce energy. So you die. Or in fact, it actually becomes, it breaks down, right? The, the point I was trying to make is that Jesus just did the thing. He just eliminated the barrier between him and God. And here's the most unique thing about it is he didn't need his own sacrifice to do that. And that's why he's so powerful. Yeah, of course he didn't. Because we don't need the sacrifice. Because who was the angry one? We were. I'll tell you a story. And I, this is a story that's in my book. Um, but it's really the pivotal moment for me is back in the emerging church days, the number one question for everyone in all of the emergent group, breakout groups, the conferences, was this idea of penal substitutionary atonement. For our listeners, it's a really fancy word that basically says God is pissed at you. Okay. Mm -hmm. And in order to in order to satisfy that anger, God needed to sacrifice his own son in order to stop the anger. I and that is that is John Piper's signature discussion. Absolutely. Like he dies on that hill. Okay. PSA. And that was the beginning of the emerging church because the emerging church asked that question. Wait a minute, this doesn't feel right. That sounds like child abuse. Okay. Well, Stephen Chalk, the guy in, in the UK, right? His name was Stephen Chalk, who actually right. um made that phrase and then Brian McLaren took right. took the mantle and ran with it, right? Okay, so I grew up under penal substitutionary atonement. I grew up under the idea that God was pissed at me. I needed Jesus to make him happy with me and keep doing what you're doing and please God. That's the point, okay? By the time 2000, I was probably 40 when the emerging church rolled around. No, I'm sorry. I was, uh, that was, not, when was the emerging church? 2005, 2007 is when it really started. Anyways, it's probably about 15 years ago. So that's about I, right. I, I, I would say, I would say it started coming out of the scenes about four years after I really became an evangelical. Yes. 2005, I think, yes. maybe even 2006. So as I started engaging that question, I realized Something was happening in me, and I was like, I'm not gonna, I'm not going to like something just didn't sit right with me. So I spent three years sitting in the Garden of Eden asking, what's really going on? Right. And one week, uh, it was before I even had written most of my book. I I hadn't even started really, I had notes, and I felt like God said, Okay go to Lake Tahoe. And I went to Lake Tahoe for a weekend. I went to this cheap ass motel and I, I knew it was like an appointment to meet God. That's what it honestly felt like. 
I get there. I'm laying on my bed. I turn on Sports Center. The Warriors are in. No, that was before. Um, some sports team was on and it captured my attention. And I remember thinking, what the hell am I doing? I didn't come here to watch sports. And literally the next 12 hours were the gauntlet of my life. Okay. I, the moment I turned off the TV is when it started. And I had this fundamental problem was the two great theories said it was God who was angry or Satan had trapped you. Satan trapping you never made sense to me. Okay. That's just making it too powerful. Yes. God being angry at you never made sense to me because why would he kill his own son? It just didn't jive with me. Well, it pause on that. One of the things that um, our friend uh, Boyd, Greg Boyd talks yes. about, and he, he, he's, the, he's what's called an open theist, but Greg Boyd thought that the idea of God, not only willing um, God being sovereign, the idea of a sovereign God who creates Adam and Eve for them to sin not only did he allow them to do that, oh, Christus did he, 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 he willed it to happen, not just ordained it, not just give it the blessing and let them have it, but he actually had to make it happen. Right. Then he stored up his wrath. Then he needed a savior. And then to him was totally incoherent, right? And in my mind, it sounds incoherent, right? right? From a logical framework. How can you store up wrath for some children of yours that you actually Created. knew you not only knew, you didn't only know they were going to do it, you actually right. knew that it had to happen in, in the head of your, in your own divine construct, because right. Jesus was already That's thought out of time. Right. right. Greg came along. Greg, Greg came, I got into Greg right at that time, uh, and he presents what's called Christus Victor. Christus yes. Victor is that Jesus came and said, okay, God, you're angry. Yes. I'm willing to volunteer myself as a propitiation of that sin. I still don't believe that. I think that's not a satisfying answer. Okay. So well, as I, you know, Christus Victor means that he, he, his death on the cross meant victory over sin and death. True. That, that, that was a true construct. But right? as part of Christus Victor, Jesus is still volunteering to take care of God's anger. It's still part of it. Okay. Okay. That's why it wasn't satisfying to me. Okay. Okay. So as I'm sitting here in my boxers, freaking out because I can't figure it out, I'm having an existential crisis and I'm like, literally I'm going half crazy. Mm. And it was, it, it was probably, I probably looked like Charles Bukowski. I don't know if you know who he is. He was a famous alcoholic. I probably, my hair was probably all, I was sweating because I was having this pure existential moment going, everything I've taught me is one, but I don't believe it anymore. Mm -hmm. I'm looking in the mirror going, there's no fucking way God is going to send his son in love because it has to be consistent with love. That's child abuse, pure and simple. Yeah. That doesn't jive with love. Satan's not powerful enough to overcome God. So I don't buy this idea that he's trapped us. That was the other idea in history. The ransom kind of, yes. yeah. The ransom idea. Yep. I look directly in the mirror and I have this thought, who else is in the room? There's God, there's Satan, and who else? There's me. And that's when it hit me. I needed propitiation. I needed the sacrifice. And that changed everything for me 
because it was consistent with love. And basically it says, God knew I was trapped in a mental health crisis. And I'm going to say that specifically because I think we are now collectively understanding, yes, it really was a mental health problem because that's how your brain operates. As a conscious person, you have a brain that is so fucking powerful. Because why? Because you are God. And if you take away your capacity to see God, that you are God. Oh, my God. Dude, th this is so crazy that you're having this. Because this is all coming together. The, um, I met with these old farts. It was called the old farts. We used to be in God's, Young's fam God's Young Families. And these guys were not necessarily yeah. John Piper fanatics. My friend Chris and I were. But these guys still love the Lord. And we, we, got, we showed up. I went back to a reunion. It had been like 15 or 20 years. And... One of the guys goes, so were you fellowshipping? And I told him I wasn't. I'd kind of been back and forth. And my good friend, Chris, who I had coffee with today, came up to me and said, how did you feel like that? In my, Did you feel like that was like, oh, hey, by the way, where are you fellowshipping? Versus like, uh, you are fellowshipping someplace, right? And where is that? And it was more judgy. And I felt it was more judgy. And he felt that. And he felt bad for me. And I said, you know what? I'm beyond that now. But something else came up in that conversation. Jonathan, we had a pastor who came to our church and he was bad news for our church. He mm -hmm. hung out there for three or four or five years and ended up not only causing a lot of problems and, and trying to do expansions and trying to grow it like a mega church, but right. it, it found, we actually found out he was downloading sermons from Willow Creek and then presenting them as his own sermons. So um, there was a guy who, before this all happened, because we had to vote on whether we were going to bring him in as our pastor. Right. And he said, please do not do this. Do not do this. If you do, it's going to cause problems. And he was right. But what his brain did to him, he went into a mental institute. Mm -hmm. He was so freaked out right. by the idea of this guy causing problems and him being right and them being wrong that he actually lost yeah. it. He had to be put in, an, in, in in a mental institute for a while. Yeah. He's He's now out. We saw him. He was there. He seemed like a nice, pleasant guy, but he's still... He actually judged my friend Chris, um, and he says, why aren't you teaching anymore? He goes, I'm in a different stage of my life. That was 20 years ago. I did teach, and I taught too. We all loved it together, and he was still judging him. And yeah. what he's getting at is our brains are so powerful to cause physical pain, physiological energy loss, and yeah. to put ourselves into a freaking mental, mental institute because how misaligned we think people are out there. That's insane, and it's all- well, It's schizophrenia. Yes. So when you stop believing that you are God, you are thrust into a void. Who are you? And that's what I call the unknowing. It's this space where you are now no longer referential to I am love. So how do you judge reality? How do you judge space and time? How do you judge anything that you're going to experience Oh, it's happening to me rather than I'm experiencing it. And you've got to protect yourself. Now your default mode network, which is your ego, has to go into protective mode. What's the first thing Adam and Eve did? They went to protect themselves with leaves. Yep. And they said, I'm naked. Who told you you were naked? Yes. It's a mental health crisis. And we now have 6,000 years to prove we are in a mental health planet. We are. we are a mental health crisis planet 
And we have got to start. Yes, you're in Finland. They're one of the happiest countries on earth. The Scandinavians have something going on. I don't know what it is, but Finland, Sweden, Norway, Iceland, these guys are all really happy for us. Because they all fundamentally as part of their structure agreed that we were willing to self-sacrifice for each other. Like we're reaching the end. You and I grew up in the age of greed. The last 40 years have been the age of greed. It really started with uh, Milton Friedman. And it was codified by Gordon Gecko in Wall Street. Mm-hmm. Greed yeah. is good. That fundamentally changed the structure of capitalism. And money is the number one operating system of the world. Okay. And it says, and what is its purpose is to enslave you, which is you're not good. If you're a slave, you're not good. What was the number one problem with Israel? Is they were enslaved. God takes them out of slavery. Everything is metaphorical. Everything is to bring you back. Now, back to my original point with Abraham Piper is that energy is created automatically when you turn that switch on. When you align yourself to the idea that you are completely and fundamentally connected to God, you are a resource point in the earth that is connected at an energetic level to this bigger humanity that is also God. You and I, there is no separation between us at an energetic level. And that's what DMT and ayahuasca do is they show you that energetic level and you can experience it. It's like we've got the antenna, but it's broken or it's tweaked. It needs to be. And it's only under that construct, because here's how you activate energy in your body. This is what I'm learning. You activate energy in your body by creating congruence between your head and your heart. You have to first understand you are God. That's why Jesus kind of takes us into this idea of, no, just be adopted. It doesn't matter. You're still part of God. You're in the family. Exactly. And... From a, and we are now at a point where from a scientific level, we can actually validate that energetically, there's nothing separating us. Yeah. They couldn't do that back then. So they metaphorically couldn't understand it. We are now at a convergence point where quantum physics is showing at a scientific level. Guess who's going to be the first people in the kingdom of God in today's age? Scientists, because they're going to just accept it because that's what the science is going to show. They are the ultimate fundamentalists is because they just let science do the talking and we haven't been able to create that connection historically between people because we haven't been able to see it at a subatomic level well i'm thinking that it's the quantum physicists that are going to be first in the kingdom because they're the sure. ones that bend the actual like a biochemist or a chemist no but like a quantum physicist yes because they're always and and, and hello folks the 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 slit the slit experiment, right? With the wave and the particle, right? That's purely demonstrating consciousness. The universe is conscious. Those guys- Actually, the first people that, I think the true people are psychonauts. Psychonauts are people who use plant medicines to experiment with that realm. Yeah. And I think uh, the number one thing that comes out of all psychonaut research is love. That's, that's, think about it. Think about how strange that is, that the number one topic that all psychonauts experience is the concept of oneness. Okay. The immortality key that I brought up and Sean was about to read. Exactly. Johns Hopkins experiment near death, stage four cancer, 
Yep. They have that experience, top experience of their life, if not top two or three. And yep. agnostics and atheists are feeling undeniable presence yep. of love and, 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 and oneness. Absolutely. Okay. So if that oneness is true, if what Jesus said was true, that I am, and we are, so I am, how does that fundamentally change the congruence between your head and your heart? Because if you can never say it here, you cannot turn it on in your heart. That's the trap. That's the prison. Is that, is that where the second knot helps because the second knots tap into the heart? I mean, it's a mental experience. But it happens it to them automatically because they're, th that's what the plant medicines do is they break down the ego's capacity to yes. turn it off because yes. that's what the default mode network does is it turns off the things that are hurting you or harming you so you can't see them. Yes. And so you just ignore them. When you turn that off, all of a sudden, all your traumas and negative energies come out. It's really hard to deal with, but in a, in a set and setting that's pr proactive, you can start addressing those. Well, the, the energies are released, all that trauma, all that, that that's all repressed yes. and it's sitting in your body. Yes. And it, it, it's allowed to come to the uh, extent into the surface. And when you remove that negative energy from your body, you remove this noise in the signal so that when you remove it, you can now see reality that is consistent with love. And that is what we call salvation. You realize, oh my God, I am loved. And yes. when we allow ourselves to be loved, we realize there is no separation between God and ourselves at a subatomic level. So for those who don't know, uh, for our audience, we just paused for about an hour to have a sidebar conversation, which we do. And uh, so in trying to bring it back, I think um, I'm going to summarize it, which is I think every human being is part of God. And when we do, we create a congruence that Jesus experienced on a daily basis that produces the energy that is now an upward spiral. Okay, that's the best way I would describe it. It's going back to that energy. That was the point I was making is, as human beings, how do we create energy? And we create energy in our lives. That's the fruit of the spirit. It's natural. It's energetic qualities. It's love, joy, peace, patience. We have to, we do it by removing the noise so that the energy can automatically emerge it's already there. We just have too much noise in our head from not believing we are part of God. That's the summation of, of this entire conversation is I chose to believe what Jesus did was the same thing that I was supposed to do, which is believe that I was part of God. And when I have done that over the last six months, it has fundamentally changed my life in an extremely powerful way. And every and you day, don't believe it met, just metaphysically and with no, your head, but you believe I, it in your heart as well. Yes, I can remember exactly where I was when I said it to myself. I said, okay, let's fucking do this. I am God. And I started there. I remember I was walking my dog. I probably called you or sent you a text, but it was, let's take a risk. I'm under grace. So let's take a risk and see what happens. And guess what? 
my entire life completely changed from the inside. And I have more energy than I know what to do with. Like I've got 700 million. My problem now, the problem that I'm actually dealing with now is I have too many ideas and I have the energy to do them all. Like I have a podcast. I have three different Instagram reel channels that I'm doing. I am started a screenplay. I have a book that's half written. I've got four business ideas that I want to do. And I think my problem now is I need to find the right one that I focus on. So it's like, what happens when you have too much energy? It's a good problem to have. I think so. Yeah. And it's showing up completely in my work relationships. I just got a performance review and my boss said that I'm the best teammate he's ever had. My employee, that's my team member that I manage. She said the exact same thing to me. Um, because that's what love does love. Then when it is unleashed inside of our bodies, it can radically transform the energy of the room around us. And like when I did my baseball draft, I took over the room with my energy and it changed everyone's demeanor. And what I'm realizing is energy is power Mm -hmm. and I can use it for negative to control people and manipulate people, or I can use it for their good right. and empower them. Yes. And what I'm trying to do now is find out what is the best way for me to empower people with this energy that I have. That's where I'm at. I, I don't know the answer to that yet. And I'm just doing fun, creative things and waiting for the alignment to come because I know it's going to happen. So, awesome, man. So you have it too. You need to figure it out. You need to discover it. Absolutely. And I, and I say that as, my, as your friend. Of course. We need to find out how we create congruence for you. Because I want you on this journey with me. And I think you already are. You're, you're, you already are. Yeah. So. Um, so Morpheus. Yeah. Maybe I am your Morpheus. Maybe, maybe that was the truth. <laughs> I believe for you, Richard. <laughs> You are the one. (laughs) All right, friends. So this was uh, Living in the Matrix. Today was one of the most interesting conversations Rich and I have probably had one in 10 years. Half of it you didn't get to hear. Um, But it's we are going to take that half hour that was off and give it to you sometime in the next couple of weeks. It's going to be good. Because our intention is only to learn and grow and get out of the matrix and into this thing called life. Uh, Rich, you want to close for us? Yeah, I just, um, I started off the day not really necessarily wanting to do this podcast, Jonathan. And um, it's because I have this thing in the back of my head where if I haven't done enough research on something, I feel like I can't, I like to be right. I don't like to have a podcast where I'm just guessing ideas and sound like an idiot in the back end. And what we ended up doing because we had a lot of things to talk about and we've had a great, some of our best conversations have actually been totally extemporaneous. Yes. We said, let's give it a go anyway. And I'm glad you um, inst- I pushed you that in me and I'm glad we pushed through it and, and leaned in. And I think yeah. it was very productive. And again, it just reinforces, I think you guys will like how we think and um, bounce ideas off each other. Looking forward yes. to continuing the conversation um, with the off um, track one. And uh, God bless everybody. Have a great time out there and uh, looking forward to talking to you next time. Awesome. Much love, everyone. Take care. Much love. Cheers.